0: This episode is brought to you by Paraswap, the leading aggregator to find best prices across various DEXs. You'll hear more about them later in the show. Hey everyone, quick reminder, nothing said on Empire is a recommendation to buy or sell securities or tokens. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any views expressed by anyone on the show are solely our opinions, not financial advice. Santiago and I and our guests may hold positions in the companies, funds, or projects discussed. Now, let's get into the show. All right, everybody. Uh, special guest today. We are joined by entrepreneur, author, philanthropist, and uh, most of you probably know Andrew for a, a candidate in the 2020 presidential campaign and the 2021 uh, New York City mayoral primary. There is so much more that he's working on. We're very lucky to have him today, Andrew Uh, Welcome to Empire, my friend.
1: Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, of course. Andrew, I want to actually just start. We'll obviously get into crypto and what you're doing there. But actually, I kind of want to start with this idea uh, from your new book, When I think of like Andrew Yang and like, what do you believe in? There are two things that come to mind, which is UBI and uh, just like automation, right? And your new book kind of talks about how that's really only the beginning. And you talk about this series of like cascading problems within these antiquated systems and how America's stagnant institutions are failing to keep up with technological change. And you talk about these great like priests of decline of America. Can we just get an update into like a live look into Andrew Yang's mind? It's March 2nd in 2022? Like, what are your core beliefs today?
1: Well, thanks for reading the book. Uh, So let's say that you believe, as I do, that uh, we're in the midst of this profound economic transformation that has already started to push many Americans to the sidelines, where we automated away 4 million uh, manufacturing jobs in Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, uh, Western PA, Uh, And that that's factual. I mean, you know, you can quibble. Is it, you know, 4.2 million is like, you know, but but the order of magnitude like that stuff's documented. Uh, It leads to Trump winning in 2016. So I run for president saying, hey, guys, this is going to speed up. It's not going to slow down. It's going to become even more widespread and pervasive. So we should think of other bigger ways to get value into people's hands, to rebuild the middle class, to allow people to participate in the market. Um, So. Uh, at the conclusion of that presidential campaign, uh, I thought, okay, I learned a lot. What did I learn? Uh, and what I learned was that our political system's not actually meant to address the challenges, <laughs> which is like a tough, tough reality. And for folks in Web three, uh, you probably think that legislators have no idea what you're you're working on, and you're right. Um, The average senator is 64 years old. Average member of Congress is, uh, you know, 59 or so. Uh, The leadership is, you know, 10 to 20 years older than that. So, DC is on something of a 25-year tape delay. Um, And so, if you go to them and say, hey, guys, AI is going to come online and it's going to get rid of uh, a lot more jobs. We're already getting rid of the most common jobs in American life. Um, and, And it turns out that the system doesn't have a feedback mechanism. It's like if you... Uh, are doing a good job a bad job it's like you think it's going to come out in the next election but that not really given the way the system's designed because you have this uh, polarized and polarizing duopoly where um, they're just going to say look you only have one of these two choices even though 57 percent of people want a different choice uh, and you keep being told no 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 there are no other choices (laughs) So, so um, so in order to solve the first set of problems, which is, OK, our economy is transforming in profound ways and uh, you know our society is not responding or adapting, then you run into the second set of hurdles, which is, OK, the political system um, doesn't actually care <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what you're doing. Um, it also, by the way, may or may not care about effective and sane uh, regulations vis-a-vis Web3. Uh, uh, and so it, it turns out that these problems are all kind of tied together. So now I'm, uh, trying to solve the first problem by trying to solve the second problem, if that makes sense.
0: Did you ever read Ezra Klein's book? Uh, I'm trying to remember that. Why we're polarized
1: is or... a yeah. very, very big influence on me. And Ezra and I, I would consider us either friendly or friends.
0: There, there's this one line in there that I'm going to completely botch, but he talks about like We collapse. Oh my God! We collapse systematic problems into personalized narratives, and when we do that, we we like cloud our understanding of American politics and confuse how to repair the system. And I think there's this line that he said, and that that was his like one line. And then another line in that same chapter was like, "We try to fix the system by changing the people who run it, only to find that they become part of the problem too." And so it seems like that's kind of what you're talking about here, which is. Everyone's trying to fix maybe the people or like the higher level surface things. And what you're talking about is like there's a greater structural decline of American systems. Am I understanding understanding that correctly?
1: Oh, yeah, very much so. And the quote from that book that I uh, was most struck by was corruptive systems overcome good individuals with ease. Uh, like you imagine that if you get a good person in the right position of authority, then they'll become a cleansing agent when really it's more, much more likely that they'll become a fly stuck in amber, um, who, mm. who then is left gesticulating to try and justify why things aren't going well. Uh, and that unfortunately is a much more accurate uh, description.
0: We do, we do seem more divided than ever in history. And like when I talk to my parents, for example, their ideas of like Republican versus Democrat, like Republican, maybe like small government, low taxes, Democrat, maybe like, bigger government, social support, it feels like these kind of tropes are falling apart, and it feels like just the political parties in America are changing. And so I'm curious, like, do you think that what the Republican and Democratic parties care about is changing? Or, like, are people just getting more extreme on each side? Like, why does it feel like we're more polarized than ever before? Or maybe I'm just young and that people... For forever in history. Oh so no, this, we're
1: we're objectively much more polarized than we were in times past. Uh, there was a point when the two parties were ideologically very similar, uh, and the divergence occurred um, starting after the civil rights era in the '60s, and then just accelerated uh, through the '80s and '90s to today. Where um, you know, if, if you rewound in 1970 and you asked parents, would you be upset if your child married someone of the opposite political party? most no one cared, like the the number was something like 5%. Um, and then if you ask today, it's up to 50% where people would be very, very upset if you brought home a uh, dating partner of the uh, other political party. That's not normal. 42% considering the other party to be uh, morally corrupt uh, or a threat to the country, that's not normal. Um, so the, the polarization is real and it's being driven by systems and incentives. Uh, The uh, national approval rating of Congress right now is around 28%, very low, uh, not surprising probably to most people. Uh, The re-election rate for individual members of Congress is around 94%, which is a great win rate. So then you ask yourself, why the heck is there this massive gulf? And the reason is that about 90% of districts are either safely blue or safely red so that you're assured of winning if you get through your primary your biggest risk is getting primaried by someone more extreme that pushes you toward the relative extremes. Only about 10% of people are going to vote in these primaries because most people feel like, well, like my voice doesn't matter. Um, So you have a system that again is not meaningfully responsive um, and your job security is not contingent upon performance or or results. Uh, It's just contingent upon your uh, keeping your flank clear ideologically
2: and I want to jump in here and, and talk a little bit more about the structural systemic decline that, that you ascribe to in, in the U.S. I, I actually grew up in, in Mexico, and you know I've always felt that, you know, talk about good individuals, but the system is very much corrupt, and, and, and so you have these inherent problems. But coming into the U.S. and living here, I always felt that this is, as Churchill said, the least of the worst, and I think the U.S. probably continues to be a system that functions – but it has felt that over the last 10 years, there has been, in my estimation, a growing divide, particularly if you look at the Gini coefficient, there is a lot of dis- feeling of disenfranchisement in this country. A lot of people like you know, the coast are very much different than than the inland and the center states. Um, and it feels like there is this divided America where, you know, and I am curious, how did it get to this point where these systems have failed? Because, you know, the, the, the primary kind of system... The, the electoral system of the us has always been like this for the last 100 you know for a large it hasn't really changed but there has been a systemic decline and so we, i am curious to like understand if there is something else that has led to this kind of situation you're seeing today
1: yeah so you describe the uh, rampant income and wealth inequality that is really high by international standards Uh, That is a relatively recent phenomenon. Um, It it picked up in the mid-1970s, where back then, if you didn't have a college degree, you could get a manufacturing job, live a middle-class life. uh, And the CEO-to-worker pay ratio was something like, I want to say, 60. You know, like you, you could make a lot more than your workers, but it wouldn't be that crazy. Now I think that number is more like 360, uh, and you have wages that have remained essentially stagnant for most Americans over the last 40 years plus, uh, and we've jacked up the prices of housing, education, and healthcare by you know something like one to 300% uh, over that time period. So if your income stays the same and then your, uh, your costs uh, head up, Uh, then you get more and more pissed off. Uh, Your kids are much less likely to live a better life than you will, particularly because now uh, you feel like you're forced to send them to college for them to have a decent life. But, oh, by the way, we made college two and a half times more expensive. So maybe they go and they get massive loans and then they come out and they don't necessarily find the job that they want anyway because the economy has been changing and our political system, again, doesn't really uh, – uh, react in a meaningful way, like our educational system hasn't exactly transformed <laughs> over this period. So so if you look at the numbers, and I'm like a math guy, you, you see that inequality has gone up and up. And, um, uh, and our political system uh, doesn't need to do anything about it, because you just have two parties that can play you lose, I lose. Um, and uh, if the reality degrades around you, then each party is like, well, I'm just going to blame the other side. And it was Bill Maher that said something that I think is more or less right. The only idea that Americans can hold in their heads consistently is throw the bums out. Uh, and it doesn't matter who's in power. It's like, I'm pissed off. You're in power because this sucks. Like, you're out. And then we try the other party and we're like, oh, you suck too. You're out. And then the other party's like, see, it was that party's fault all along. When really it's the system's fault that nothing structural gets fixed while the average standard of living is... Uh, declining by many measures, like I'll give you the most basic measure of all, life expectancy somehow has been going down uh, in the United States of America, even pre-COVID for like three of the last four years of record. That's highly unusual in a developing country, Uh, no, sorry, a developed country. (laughs) Like like, theoretically, life should be getting better. Um, you, You can look at a whole range of measurements um, so, so that, that's what's happened, uh, Santiago. And I, I have friends from Latin America who came here, uh, from other countries and they're like, oh, this is where it's at. Like, and then when people get animated about elections, they're like, hey, you know, either way, like, things will work out more or less. But, but now that stuff is, um, getting called into question, rightfully so, because American institutions are much, uh, less robust and trusted than they were even, you know, 10, 15 years ago.
2: There are talks obviously now that the u s. is in decline and you know sort of lost its 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 status and in, in a world sphere but I'm curious like how do you change the system
1: well we we have a couple of big ideas around changing the system. Uh, I'm going to propose something this might be the first time I've talked about it publicly, but you know it's a fun idea that some people might catch hold of. So you have this two- party system not working so well uh. Imagine if you were to go to senators and say, hey, if you leave the Democratic or Republican Party, we will give you in a super PAC the amount of money you spent for your entire last election. Like your next six years are paid for. (laughs) And then you do that, let's say, for two U.S. senators, which right now would give you control of the agenda, because if you had two U.S. senators right in the middle, let's say one R and one D, then you actually could pass anything from either side. It would be a a fulcrum. Uh, What would the approximate cost of those two senators next campaigns, 80 to 100 million? uh, You know, is is that something that people could gather together and say, like, sure, like, I'd do that for a less polarized system and like uh, and make those senators. If I thought those senators were reasonable, we're going to guide it in in positive directions. Um, Now, some people would look at that and say, like, oh, that that's not possible. But if you dig into some of the numbers, you find that. Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska has an approval rating of 6% among Republicans, and her leaving the Republican Party to become an independent might actually be like a political boon to her. Um, You see that Joe Manchin, uh, who I think sat with the Republicans (laughs) this last day of the union, um, uh, he's in a state that the other party's candidate Trump won by 39 points. So West Virginia, so if he leaves the Democratic Party, like he probably gains politically. So we're, we're in a very strange time where like, if you had the right parties come to the table, you might have a reorientation of American politics. So that's one vision that in my mind, uh, you know, is much more realistic than it, than it would be in a, at other points in time. Another vision that's already happened in Alaska, is that they changed from closed party primaries to open primaries and ranked choice voting, which means that Senator Murkowski doesn't have to go through the party primary system, which is, by the way, what's making all of our legislators so uh, irrational sounding. Because if I said to you, hey, uh, Santiago, uh, you're running for office and guess what? You have to deal with a 10 to 15 percent most extreme uh, Republicans or the, you know, like in your district, you'd be like, okay, <laughs> and then you'd show up and then they would try and push you towards various positions where you're like, well, I wasn't that into this before, but I guess I have to do this to keep my job. Um, and so if you change that process in not just Alaska, but Missouri, Nevada, and other states, then all of a sudden the incentives to become reasonable go up. So these are things I'm taking shots at. Um, you know, am I going to succeed? You know, if enough people get behind us, sure. Um, but one thing I'm confident in, in is that people are going to uh, realize that this system is dysfunctional and designed to fail. Uh, we're going through the worst design failure in the history of the world, I'm going to suggest. The two-party system is uniquely vulnerable to authoritarianism. So you could see the the world's most powerful democracies succumb to authoritarianism in the next several years because – If you have one of the two major parties to come to bad leadership, then everyone's incentive is to fall in line, which, by the way, would be horrifying to our founding fathers who hated parties, not a word about them in the Constitution. John Adams called them a great evil um, because he saw this coming. And somehow people in 2022 are so uh, conditioned to think that this system is the way it needs to be, that they're not willing to change it.
0: Empire is brought to you by Paraswap, which just reached a whole new level in the DeFi game. Paraswap started as a DEX aggregator, which for those who don't know, it's like a Google flights or an Expedia for swapping crypto. You would obviously never just go directly to an airline's website. Uh, Same thing with crypto. You would never go directly to an exchange uh, to trade or to swap. You'd go to Paraswap. Why? Because they aggregate liquidity from more than 60 different sources uh, to get you the best prices and the most efficient gas transactions. Now. Paraswap, obviously still the best aggregator out there, but now there's more. They now have staking, they have yield farming. Uh, There's this one feature that I love. Uh, It shows you exactly how much money Paraswap saved you on your last trade. They're now on five different blockchains. They've got Ethereum, Binance, Polygon. They recently added Avalanche and Phantom. So it's really simple. If you're an Empire listener, if you are new to DeFi or you're a power user of DeFi, Really anybody, if you're dabbling in DeFi markets, you have got to try Paraswap. Their new staking and yield farming products are a game changer. They've taken DeFi to the next level with really one of the first mature DeFi products that I've ever seen. So head on over to paraswap.io, that is paraswap.io and start swapping, trading, staking, and so much more today.
2: We are seeing this interesting phenomenon uh, in crypto uh, around capital coordination and DAOs, Decentralized uh, Autonomous Organizations, where, you know, even most recently in in Ukraine, for instance, like in in a short period of time, they just spun up a Bitcoin and Ethereum address, and and, and they had a a number of donations flock and come to their support. And so do you think that in some capacity in the next election or in subsequent elections, there is something here where you can can coordinate more capital um, to support, uh, independent, uh, you know, politicians running for office, um, using these mechanisms that we're seeing in crypto today. One of my
1: goals is that web three becomes like uh, depoliticized, uh, you know, it is not a partisan issue. Um, but I do think that there's a natural alignment between web three and a third party, not just cause they both have three in the name. Um, <laughs> but, but because I, I think that a, a lot of folks in web three just want things to work better. They just want, uh, you know, greater efficiencies. Uh, they want um, uh, more access and distribution and transparency. Uh, and I, I think that these are goals that most third parties would share. Um, I hope that the Web three community actually gets gets more engaged politically. Whether that's supporting a sane Democrat who wants reasonable regulations, a sane Republican who wants reasonable regulations, an independent who wants reasonable regulations, um, that's the practical thing to do. Um, and if members of this community become activated politically, I think they could do a lot of good in terms of having certain types of candidates uh, wind up in positions of authority and maybe drafting rules uh, around how this technology gets treated moving forward. Um, I I also do think that there's a parallel between Web3 technologies and the traditional financial system, and then kind of this outside political energy and the traditional political system. I'm going to suggest that neither of these systems is really functioning all that well. And it's certainly not empowering people um, as much as it's empowering like a layer of institutional power (laughs) and so that there's like a lot of natural alignment. Um, But uh, I I do think that the most practical thing to do would be to identify certain candidates that are more reasonable uh, and open-minded about uh, Web 3 uh, and (laughs) dislodge candidates who, frankly, oftentimes are being funded by traditional financial institutions that just don't like uh, any kind of competition.
0: One thing you said is you hope that web three doesn't become this political topic, but I, but I feel it becoming this political topic where like on one hand you've got like uh I don't know, like Liz Warren or like maybe, I don't know, Brad Sherman, like really, really hates crypto. And then you've got like Ted Cruz now is like a big Bitcoin mining person, apparently. And like Cynthia Lummis, like loves, uh, loves, loves Bitcoin. And uh, who, who's the recent one in Arizona? Blake Masters now loves Bitcoin. And so you've almost got the like on the, on well, the of right. of course,
1: Blake does, but continue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. On one hand, you've got like the Democrats, it feels like really don't like Bitcoin and crypto. On the other hand, you've got the conservatives uh, really actually do like Bitcoin and they, and they see it as like freedom and things like this is kind of the talking point. I actually don't want to talk about crypto for a second. I'm actually curious to get your take. Like there are other issues where I'm like, Oh my God, how is this becoming politicized? Like COVID obviously became a very political topic. The environment right. Became a very political topic. Like how does this, how does a topic get fed into the Washington machine? Like how does something be like this become polit- how, become politicized? What What's going on behind the scenes?
1: Well, unfortunately, right now, the reflex is for it to become politicized where one side uh, seems mildly supportive of it and then the other side uh, reacts um, very, very negatively. Um, So the danger to your description is that Democrats don't like it and Republicans like it. Um, And that's the dynamic you have to uh, avoid, particularly because a lot of that is around misconceptions. You know, theoretically, Democrats are for financial inclusion and broader opportunity uh, and uh, transparency and decentralization and competition, um, and Web3 enables all of those things. Um, But right now, the traditional media will be approximately 100 times more likely to write a story about uh, scam um, uh, or problem uh, than it will some benign application of the, the blockchain. Um, so one, one of the goals that I have with Lobby 3 is, one, to paint a more accurate picture and dispel confusion, um, but two, to demonstrate that these tools can aid in the financial empowerment of people who have been on the outside looking in. By the way, some of those may be traditional democratic constituents, um, and, and that can help uh, reduce the politicization um, one of the so I'll give you an example of something uh, you know talk to someone who'd been in touch with a Democratic senator's office uh, does not like crypto um, but is at least I- intrigued by the uh, possibility of a digital wallet that poor people in uh, his community could utilize in lieu of exploitative check cashers and money lending services and pawn shops and the like so if we succeed in making uh, that that digital wallet available to uh, people of color in his community? Does that potentially change his stance from very negative, which it is now, to uh, neutral or less negative or isn't going to weigh in on rules, uh, like, you know, being quite as um, onerous? Possibly. So let's go do that, you know? and And oh, by the way, we'd be like, uh, helping people. We'd be presenting a more holistic, uh, complete picture. Um, so that's the mission of lobby three.
0: Do you remember when everything was happening with the infrastructure bill and, uh, crypto just got tied into it and everyone's like, Oh my God, this is uh, like all the folks Yeah, in they had some like, strange
1: oh, language oh. that like would affect everyone in the industry that just sort of got wedged into this infrastructure bill.
0: I actually one summer interned, uh, on Capitol Hill for, um, Senator Wyden from Oregon. And, um, So I texted someone in the office when that was going on and they're like, yeah, well, if we embrace crypto, then we're basically like embracing the downfall of the U.S. And I was like, what do you you mean by that? And they're like, if you embrace anything other than the dollar, it's really impairing our ability to like do sanctions. Right. So that was just fascinating for me to hear about, which is. I mean this is like sample size of 1 but and also it's a staffer and not actually Senator Wyden's take but like how do you reckon, reconcile on one hand you've got like the virtues of like this better monetary system and like this much better technology with crypto versus maybe the costs that it has to like the US dollar and like the US dollar system and like us being the global reserve currency and all that kind of stuff
1: Right now we're already living in a world where the US dollar gets used for the vast vast majority of uh, transactions and storage of value and like everything else in the United States. And then cryptocurrencies and uh, digital currencies get used uh, in select environments uh, and for different use cases, um, like, for example, uh, you know, rewarding creators for NFTs or, or um, any of a range of other things. So uh, so that's the world we live in now. Um, and that's the world that we should argue is going to be the world moving forward Uh, And the goal should be to try and balance the risks in a reasonable way with uh, the value gains and the uh, innovation and the jobs that that will result from successful adoption uh, of these technologies. Uh, You know, like you look up right now and um, one of the things that's on everyone's minds, obviously, is uh, Russia's invasion of of Ukraine. Um, And you can look at that as both like an argument for or against cryptocurrencies where, Uh, I think one of you just said, like, you know, millions of dollars are getting sent to Ukraine. Um, By the way, like some of these people are like on foot, on the run, like aren't able to access resource in a conventional way. But then all of a sudden now, like, uh, like um, currencies can get airdropped onto their phone. They can use um, in in various ways. Um, So that seems like a fantastic, positive illustration. On the flip side, maybe some uh, Russian oligarchs are using... Uh, Bitcoin to uh, evade Western sanctions, uh, and so you know it runs against uh, what you'd hope. And, and um, I say both of these things because you know there, there's not there's not like a, a black or white picture. You know what I mean? It's like like There, there are pluses and minuses, um, but I, I would argue that the first. Um, you can't just look at the minuses and say, oh, we should like, you know, like, uh, like throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, you can try and manage the, um, the downsides while trying to, to preserve and even grow the upsides.
0: I just want to get an update on your thoughts around UBI. Uh, just because, you know, I, I sent out a message saying, hey, we're chatting with Andrew on the podcast. And a lot of folks said, hey, can we get an update on what are his thoughts around UBI, especially as uh, pertains to uh, you know, one, one thing that happened with COVID is you printed a lot of money and you sent checks to a bunch of people. And like, did that change Andrew's take on how he thinks about UBI? And so I guess I'd now turn the audience's question and, and pose that to you is have your, have your thoughts around UBI changed at all?
1: Uh, a lot of the trends I was concerned about when I was running for president, um, accelerated, uh, you know, where I think 50% of companies re- reported investing more in automation. Uh, so we had a couple of policy responses, uh, And one of the ones that people now regard as maybe the most positive is the enhanced child tax credit that reduced child poverty by 50% or more in the U.S. Um, So it's these kinds of cash relief measures that I think 442 economists, including a bunch of Nobel Prize winners, were like, hey, yeah, we should do more of that. We should keep that. Um, Now, of course, D.C. being dysfunctional, uh, that child tax credit has evaporated for the time being. Um, It it, it may come back. Um, So I am for... Uh, putting money and buying power into people's hands. Uh, The labor force participation rate continues to drop. And some people mistakenly say, hey, that's because we sent everyone money. Um, And uh, I believe it's actually because most of the money that's getting sent out right now to this day uh, is structured around unemployment programs that only pay you if you're not working. Uh, If all of a sudden you made all of that money unconditional, uh, I think you'd have a lot more people saying, "Well, I'm getting this money anyway. I might as well do something else and you know get some more money." Um, <laughs> but but right now, like you, you're you are incentivized to to not get that job or take that shift uh, because we're going to pay you in some cases eighty, a hundred percent of what you would make if you did uh, do that job. So I, I think the deficiencies and the structure of existing programs, uh, I, I still very much believe that. Universal basic income or some version of it uh, is inevitable um, and we should be advancing in that direction um, as soon as possible. Uh, I would suggest too that for some folks who are very concerned about inflation and the rest of it, I get it. I think that there are some innovative ways that we can get buying power in, into people's hands that may not spur um, that concern. And one very obvious way is like do we have to do universal basic income in USD? Um, I'm going to argue no. Uh, it's one reason why I'm so excited about uh, what we're doing with Lobby 3 in this space.
0: This quote that you said, I forget when you said it, but maybe it might have been on stage at ETH Denver, Andrew, is Web 3 could be the biggest anti-poverty initiative in the history of the world. Pretty bold statement. What is? Uh, what are your thoughts around that?
1: Uh, it really could. I mean, there are folks listening to this right now have seen people's financial uh lives transformed over the last number of days or weeks or months uh, via Web3. Uh, We're just scratching the surface of what this potentially could do. Uh, I'm super excited about the implementations in areas of need uh, to try and get buying power into people's hands, not just for the corporeal, like the real life direct concern, which is like, hey, for some people, they just need to eat. Um, but but more than that, it improves your agency, your sense of uh, confidence, your empowerment, the, the value you have. Uh, people are are uh, kind of funny that way. But like when you invest in them, they actually feel more worthwhile. Uh, and then that gives rise to a virtuous cycle. Um, and that's something that Web3 can 100 percent enable, uh, you know, I don't think I'm alone in this, but like we, I think a lot of us think of ourselves as, as like a set of fluctuating balances. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate in a way, like you'd like to think that we have intrinsic value as human beings and it's not you know the, the rest of it. But I think a lot of us fall prey to it. Uh, and so if you do have a balance that's going up, uh, like it's something that can, uh, you know, get you excited about trying to maybe like get that opportunity, even at the extreme, uh, start that company organization pursue that creative offering uh, and on and on
0: we covered this at blockworks um for those watching on youtube you can you can see this story here i mean you launched lobby 3 dow um i think it's actually there's a public mint going on right now if i'm if i'm not wrong um oh, so I'd right. just,
1: it just launched yeah. uh yesterday
0: amazing amazing how's the uh, how's the launch going
1: it's been going great Uh, You know, there are people joining every, you know, whatever, like minute, second, uh, maybe not (laughs) second, probably minute, (laughs) Uh, but, uh, and we're having conversations with a ton of leaders in the space who are excited about uh, becoming founders of Lobby 3 because they know that this is going to be very, very important for uh, a lot of people. Um, so super excited about the reception, and a, a lot of that stuff is happening um, behind the scenes uh, on Zooms and uh, and uh, various calls. In addition to Twitter Spaces and a lot of the public facing uh, yeah. stuff.
0: If I'm in Washington right now and I'm listening to this, I'm, and I'm saying, why, why in the world? A, what is this thing? And B, why in the world did it need to get built on be built on crypto rails? Right? Why is this thing a DAO? What what's your response to those folks?
1: Well, I mean, if you're in D.C., then you probably don't know anything we're talking about. <laughs> that's like the, Amen.
0: Yeah. Um, Shots fired by Andrew. Yeah. Uh, you know,
1: I mean, it's just like, like the primary response you get in D.C. is confusion. Um, and that's not a knock on them. It's just, you know, I mean, like that's the primary response you like people here probably get from just about anyone. Um, yeah. So, if you were to ask me, hey, why on uh, you know why a DAO like uh, why in this structure? What better way to demonstrate the potential of these technologies for positive social change than to make use of them uh, to help make the case uh, to folks in DC that they can be an important part of the future? Not just through the resources, though. Yes, the resources are important. Uh, but through the energy and creativity and the ingenuity and the humanity, and maybe even just making a direct case to your representative, I'm a constituent of yours. I live in your district. And by the way, this stuff is very important
2: to me. So Andrew um, 2024, um, I am curious um, what your plans are there, um, how you one uh, if your plan on running. Um, and, and so what do you think 2024 holds in store and, and how can we, one, what do you want to do there? And then second, um, how does crypto fit into that equation in that election? 2024, I
1: think, is going to be quite the the uh, election cycle where it looks like Trump's coming up with the Republican Party. I see him as the favorite uh, to emerge. Uh, on the other side, uh, it's either Biden or the field. Um, I, th- I think that uh, the opportunities I'm excited about lie... Right in front of us in 2022, around trying to change the incentives in Nevada and Missouri and these other states. In 24, uh we're going to do everything we can to provide Americans an alternative uh, to the two party system. Um, and so, one of the things we're looking at is potentially having people who, for whatever reason, uh, aren't excited about running as a Republican or a Democrat coming together and maybe. Uh, having a forward primary or something along those lines. Um, So there there are a lot of interesting things on the table for us in 24. Uh, But I am concerned about the prospects for our democracy um, in the near term, um, because uh, right now you consider Trump uh, a favorite. And I think most people know this, like I'm no Trump fan. I think he's corrosive. Uh, to our institutions, and our institutions need a refresh and a revamp, um, but tearing them down is not going to be a positive.
0: Andrew, anything else in terms of the Forward Party, Lobby 3 DAO, anything else that we missed that you feel like is really important to talk to just the crypto community about?
1: Some of the first people to embrace my campaign uh, in 2020 were folks in this community, uh, and it's in large part because. People here are builders and have a mindset of abundance and optimism and possibility for the future. And that's missing for a lot of Americans right now. A lot of politics is very nasty. Uh, You know, a lot of Americans are struggling in various ways. Um, And we have to do everything we can to get people's heads up uh, to show that these technologies can improve real people's lives in the real world. And oh, by the way, if we do that, then that may help fuel Uh, better treatment uh, in terms of the regs that are getting uh, drafted in DC, but it also may end up fueling a different approach to politics uh, because so much of politics right now is a zero-sum game. You win, I lose. If you're doing better, like I'm doing worse. And I'm going to suggest that that's kind of the opposite of the dynamic and ethos of Web3, where people are continuously saying, hey, I can build something that makes your life better and makes my life better Uh, it's exactly what the country needs. uh, And it's why I'm so excited for both Lobby 3 and the Forward Party to make this case that our future does not need to be bleak and dark. Like we can actually build something we're excited about.
0: Yeah, I love that. What are the, uh, what's an action item folks can take? Head on over to, uh, what's the website here? Lobby 3. It's
1: lobby3.io. You can go ahead and mint immediately. There are a few different tiers. Uh, Would love to have Your voice and energy in participating uh, in building this movement, really. Um, If you're interested in the political end of things, you can go to forwardparty.com. You can follow me on my social media. I'll probably be saying a lot about both lobby3.io and the Forward Party, but please do invest a bit of your time and resources to try and make it so that uh, the future is bright. Um, the fact is a lot of people listening to this, I know you might not like politics. I totally get it. I don't particularly like them either, <laughs> but but we just have to be uh, we have to be smart and effective and forward looking. Uh, we know that some stuff is going to get written in DC that could affect everyone listening to this right now. so we might as well invest the time and energy to make it so that there are things that if we're not excited about, at least we can live with
0: spoken like someone who is not a career politician. Andrew, <laughs> I love it. Uh this is awesome. Thanks so much for coming on Empire my friend. Uh we're rooting for you over here and um yeah, if the community can help with anything, let us know.
1: Thank you very much. See you on lobby3.io. Appreciate the heck out of you. That was a blast. You guys are are very very good interviewers.